My name is Dan Murphy, and I'd like to thank you for listening to the Don't Change Much podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Now, this is a podcast that deals with men's health and wellness. We dive into topics that we hope help men physically, mentally, emotionally. But that doesn't mean women aren't part of the conversation too. After all, every one of us is impacted by women in our lives, wives, mothers, sisters, and friends. Women that care about us. So let's bring Jody Vance into the conversation. The veteran broadcaster is an advocate for men's health. Her passion for it stems from her relationship with her father and trying to help him through a prostate cancer diagnosis and later Alzheimer's. Experiences that led her to become a national champion for the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Manage your stress, not the other way around. For simple ways to improve your mental health, check out the free MindFit Toolkit from the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Complete a self-assessment, access virtual counseling, and learn more about how anxiety, stress, or depression might be impacting your health. Go to menshealthfoundation.ca and access the MindFit Toolkit to start improving your mental wellness today. Well, this should be fun. I have known our next guest since probably 1999 in the VTV building, Robson Berard. Yeah, even before that. Yeah. Maybe just a touch before. 99 was the first time I filled in at Sportsnet in Toronto. So I think maybe just before that. Yeah. Okay. Jody Vance is here. We're going to talk about men's health, mental and physical with a woman. And I think it's important. And I think you'll understand why when this is done. Let's start with this, Jody. You've joined the Canadian Men's Health Foundation as a national champion. Why are you getting involved as a men's health advocate? I love men. I love my men. I want them to be healthy. And I want to know more about what I can do to help make that easier. I see the men in my life struggle with asking for help, checking themselves, and really putting their health at the top of the priority list. And I love men. And I want to be... So I'm, when I was approached to do this, I looked at the roster of champions And I'm absolutely honored to be invited to be a part of this conversation. Why is it important to have diversity in the voices to speak about these topics? Well, I think we're going to go into the, you know, the reflection in my personal space that, Mm -hmm. that hits me in my heart. You know, there are lessons to be learned at the Canadian Men's Health Foundation that I believe could have saved lives and could have helped in my family and could have helped in my immediate lessons that men hearing it from men or concerned women like myself, might preventatively fix what could break them. And, and, and for me personally, it, I'm undaunted with being a woman in a man's space. I'm not sure if you know that about me. <laughs> Straight out of high school, I went into culinary school, which is probably the most male-dominated industry on the planet. My mom wanted that as my something to fall back on, just in the event that sports broadcast didn't work out for me. Another predominantly male space where you and I met, but mm-hmm. I got to say, you are always an incredibly supportive champion of my being in the space. I find that there are more men open to women being a part of this conversation than there are those who would be perhaps put off by 
women coming into the zone. I remember the first time I ever walked into the Canucks room covering the team that it had to be announced. Woman in the room! That doesn't happen anymore. So maybe one day it won't be uncomfortable for women to be in this conversation. It's important to look at these things from different lenses. I think sometimes men will take direction better from a female than if one of their buddies brought it up. They just tell them to get lost, like, you know, mind your own business. So I think it's incredibly important to have different voices in this space talking about personal experiences, which we will get into right away. But why wouldn't you want more input in certain subjects? It just makes sense in any walk of life. And sometimes it helps to say to a significant other, a family member, a father, a brother, a cousin, to say, I'm here for you. I love you. And I want to help. I see you struggling. I see you struggling with with anxiety or mental health issues because I'm sitting around the family table with you and I see your reaction to something and, and it feels like you're hurting inside. Do you want to talk about that? But we don't do that at the dining room table. We do that sidebar when we're out for a walk one day at the beach and looking around and saying, isn't it great? It's fresh air. This is beautiful. And then allow the room to have the conversation. It works. It works. Mm-hmm. When did you start becoming interested in this topic, interested in being an advocate, and I'm guessing it it does go back to your father, Bill. My dad passed away in June of last year after a long battle with Alzheimer's, and Alzheimer's came after his prostate cancer diagnosis, which was stage 3-4, very, very scary. I started seeing that something was up with dad. Um, I always call before I go over and, to visit but I call him regularly and I started to notice there was like a repetitive nature to his phone calls with me. It's like, it was almost like it was scripted. He was being very cautious and I, that was a flag for me. So one day I went over and, and just kind of checked on him and I sat and had a cup of coffee or maybe it was a beer. It was probably a beer. Let's be honest. It was a beer. And over the course of an hour, he got up and went to the washroom three times and I looked at him sideways and it was like, do you think that's normal? And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. But that started the conversation towards, that's a signal, dad. Like, we should probably, probably get your prostate checked. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just my, you know, it's this age. It's... And sure enough, once we did get him in to see Dr. Martin Gleave, one of the foremost prostate cancer surgeons in the world, if not, you know, certainly in Vancouver. And it was a fast track to... Scary, scary times. And and on the other side of what was radical surgery, life-altering surgery for my dad, who was the head of the PE department at Britannia for 35 years, a specimen. I mean, this guy in, in his 70s had a six-pack. He has, you know, mm-hmm. the legs we all aspired to have because dad was fit. I mean, he was helping visually impaired skiers down from the top of Whistler Blackcomb, the time that this was happening, everything else, every other box in his life was checked healthy, 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 healthy. And yet he felt the urge to urinate, you know, multiple times an hour. And yet he didn't get that checked. And here's the teacher who knew that he would have told other people to get checked. And yet he didn't. Why do you think there was reluctance there? Was there fear of finding out something was wrong? That's it. That's it. Fear of what he actually inside, he would tell me after. He knew, he knew, he was afraid to find out. And that's when he said, as my journalist daughter, I would like you to tell this story. Let's talk about it. 
And so we did. I put him on breakfast television. He came on with the Canadian Prostate Cancer Foundation people to talk about. He's like, I wish I had. Mm. Let me tell you, I didn't understand just how radical the surgery is. Because the sad part that nobody really wants to talk about, right, the, the, the punctuation to the surgery is you can't have sex anymore. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, if that doesn't scare, you know, because it was all about how the tests work and is it, you know, slapping on the rubber glove and I don't really know the cough and I just don't really want to, yeah. you know, the uncomfortable. Women talk about mammograms explicitly. Men joke about what they don't want to happen. The truth is now as becoming an advocate, I've learned the test is a blood test. When you get your yearly blood test, you just check that box and they're going to check to see if you have precursors to prostate cancer. And if you do, there's much to be done for it. So, you know, you can hear it in my voice. Dad wanted me to help talk about this so that we could save even one person Mm -hmm. from going through what he did. I have some experience too. My father had prostate cancer, had surgery, relatively old age, but he was strong enough to do it. My wife's father, who has since passed from something else, had prostate cancer. Really? My wife's stepfather died from prostate cancer. Oh, Dan. So all the fathers, like, like it was prevalent. Now, I will say that with my dad, my sister is an ER doc, and my brother-in-law is a urologist. There's no escaping getting tested in our family. Are like, you kidding me? No, no. So it's like, if you feel something's wrong, like, they've, they're on top of it all the time. Right. So you can't put it off, especially... My dad lives close to my sister now, so on top of everything. So we were lucky in our family that this got checked relatively early where you could have the surgery and have it removed and you know go on with life. Because so, there um, are earlier levels of surgery sure. that don't render you exactly. completely incapable of having yeah. an erection. I know it's the word, yeah. but it's so important that early detection. I mean, if Terry Fox has taught us anything, guys, right? Like, let's honor the fact that early detection in all forms of cancer is a lifesaver. What do you think helped him in his recovery process, aside from ultimately realizing that, you know, he should have checked this earlier and now he's on the road? When he was going through this, what helped him? I think what helped him most was a realization that he couldn't just dictate outwardly to keep his life going. As a coach, he was very good at directing others. You know, many of us are good at telling others what to do and then not reading our own mantras back to oneself in the mirror. I think he had a big mirror held up to his face. He acknowledged his weaknesses and how his weaknesses could definitely help others. And in living in a more aware way, my dad wasn't great at nourishing himself. He was kind of a natural specimen. So if he just, you know, if there was Apple juice was on sale. All of a sudden, his entire refrigerator was apple juice. He was really funny about that. He's like, chunky soup's on special. I bought three cases. I'm like, John, that's, it's great, but not, not every meal. It's not every meal, buddy. You're going to need a salad in there. So, so I think he did really take an active uh, role in nourishing himself in a better way because he was, honestly, Dan, he was taking advice from his daughter for the first time in his life and he was in his 70s. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Alzheimer's. Yeah. How was that process like, ultimately getting the diagnosis for that, for your father and for yourself? It was really hard. Dad actually came down to spring training in Dunedin when I was there you know, with my newborn baby. So I'm taking you back 14 years ago. And I noticed then, I thought he had a drinking problem. 
because his behavior was so different. Like he couldn't find his way from his hotel to where we were staying at a at a condo setup because we were there for whatever, two months. And it was right across the street. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can't find it's right. You know, he's climbing over a fence or something. I'm like, dad. And so I flagged it for the family is like, there's something up. He's living up at Whistler, 40 years living up there. And, and I live in, in Kitsilano. And I, I actually called up Tapestry, the assisted living place. And I said, what's the process here? Like, do I get on a list or something? How does this work? And uh, sure enough, you get on the list, but they're, you know, they bump you down if something comes up and, and I'm like, okay, well, whatever that works out. I had him on the list for five years because the family was like, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. And in my mind, I'm like, something is up with dad. And nobody wants to see it, right? Like nobody, and, and especially, you know, my brother Greg as the, the image of him, right? Talking Greg into seeing dad's shortcomings was difficult. And not that he wasn't loving and open to wanting to care for our dad. It's, it was too much emotionally for him to do it. And you don't want to believe it. Exactly. It's almost like being diagnosed yourself. You don't want to find out if there's bad news for family members. Exactly. And then dad went to stay with his brother, my uncle Don, who probably will listen to this prostate cancer survivor, by the way, as well. Don and Joy, my uncle Don and Joy had dad for 48 hours, came, came down for Christmas and Boxing Day, whatever. And after 48 hours with them, I got a phone call. Something's up with your dad. Mm. You think? <laughs> right. And that was the beginning of our journey because then the entire family got on board. We got him the SAGE test. We got him involved with Dr. Philip Lee up at UBC at the Brain Center up at UBC, who are amazing, cutting edge Alzheimer's researchers. And you know what? The interesting piece of this is once everybody knew, dad stopped trying to hide it. And he blossomed in a way like he he came back to us because all of the work he was doing to try and hide that he was unwell. Mm. All of a sudden turned. I looked at him. I'm like, Dad, everybody knows. And we all love you. And he was like, great. What should we have for lunch? Like it just, you could see his shoulders just lift. And then I just carried on that journey with him to the end. Typical, similar experience in my life, but not with father, but my mother had a form of dementia caused by protein in the brain. And my wife's mother now is about mid onset with Alzheimer's. So I know how those things go. And the worst thing people can say to them is, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Right. And then, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. That my friend told me there's nothing wrong with me. So you have to listen to the experts and take your direction from them. And if I can, because I do some work with clearalzheimers.ca, which is kind of like the Terry Fox Foundation of Alzheimer's, like 100% to research. They're trying to eradicate all forms of dementia in our children's lifetime. A real initiative by scientists, no overhead, you know, all your money going to the research. So I've been involved with, with them in a way that, you know, talking about the importance of Again, early detection, early diagnosis, mm -hmm. like that's the conversation I think is so important to have with men or women, but particularly men who hide it. Mm -hmm. Can we just like, yep. again, dad with his post-it notes everywhere. I walked into his place one day, Dan, and it was like, have you seen the movie Memento? He had a string of post-it notes that says when Jody calls. And these are the topics. Like he was actively hiding his memory loss because he's brilliant. He got ahead of it. How much work is that? I know. Now, you said he didn't want to get his prostate checked out of fear. Do you think that him probably knowing something was going wrong with his brain, he didn't want to put you guys through something? I think he didn't want to lose his freedom in life. And people do, you know, it's 
my grandmother, who had no dementia and really no physical ailments, but was just, you know, in her late, late 80s. She passed at 89 um, of, a, of a sudden stroke. Her last 10 years of her life was, don't put me in a home. Mm-hmm. Do not. Don't put me in a home and make sure I die with my teeth. Those are, I mean, <laughs> these are the things. But she's a woman. She had the conversation. Yeah. My dad was not open to the discussion about that. But I'll tell you this, when I finally did get him to go to tapestry, he went there for an overnight stay, two nights, three days. They do this sort of bring your toothbrush and your, and your change of clothes and we'll take care of everything else. And we, we walked in with, they brought him from Whistler in, a, in, a, in their car. And I met him and he was so nervous coming in. We got him set up and I took him for lunch. And we, we go to the lunch and the hostess station because it looks like a restaurant. It's beautiful there. It's beautiful. This is not an ad, not paid. But they go, hi, Bill. How are you? Happy birthday. Because his birthday is September 3rd. So they, we'd come in just, you know, we're on an anniversary of it. Two nights stay. I'm there all the time. We're at lunch and dinner and checking out the pub and going to do the things like all. And he can come and go as he please from there. And it's right across from Connaught Park where he was a Mariloma. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd go and see the boys have a beer over there and come back. And nice place. I had a view of his old high school, Kids High. And then I went to take him to go back to Whistler. And he was so nervous to leave that I said, do you want to stay? And he goes, yes, I would. He never went back. He never left tapestry. The years that he spent there, I would say, were the best years because everybody knew he had the care he needed. He lived an independent life. You know, as he progressed later, we, we moved from care home to care home where he ultimately was at Delta View, which was Alzheimer's specific and full care and, and a whole different scenario. He chose to stay after he had said, I'm not going anywhere near there for years mm-hmm. in one weekend. Yeah, you have to open your mind. Yeah. Working in sports, you've done a lot of charitable work, right? I mean, you're asked to do many things and you take on different responsibilities with different groups. When you were going through this with your father, at what point did you say, I'm going to make this a focal point of my life moving forward? When I saw the good work of the frontline healthcare workers and the people at Tapestry, honestly, who, who care for our loved ones in a way, like I couldn't have had dad live at my house. He would not have been as comfortable. He would not have been as safe. He would not. There's, I wish I had the skill to do that. And I have such great respect for those who are the caregivers and being his essential caregiver through COVID certainly was a big piece of of my mission now to really use my voice. But even back then, I streamlined my charitable focus. There There are many charities that are very much worthy of you and I do using our platforms to shine light on it. But this went next level for me because it's way, once you start talking about things, people are going through it and they just don't talk about it. And if I can help even just one person with this, I will feel like I've done something. So we know that men can often make their own health last priority, right? Um, whether it be providing for the family financially, if that's it, working, not want to miss work, you know, not want to be perceived as weak and ultimately just put it off and put it off and put it oh, off. Oh, can I tell you a story? Yeah. Okay. I love you, Brian. It was early days of our, our love affair and I found out that it had been, I don't know, 20 years since he'd been to the dentist. I said, what are you talking about? Well, the dentist can suck, though. I mean, but let's be honest. none of this. us like the dentist, Dan. <laughs> My daughter but, does. 
No. Yes. Anyway, go come, on. Let's come, tell the story. I want to. I want to hear about. It. <laughs> but if you go to the dentist and make it a priority every six to eight months, the dentist isn't that bad. If you wait twenty years, the dentist is horrifying, and it's going to be multiple appointments with almost surgery-like interventions to fix what you didn't take it. Take care. And I asked, like, what? And he's like, yeah, I also haven't had a physical in. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. So this was my first foray into what I hope to be doing as a champion here. I love him. And I said to him, if you don't take care of yourself, I cannot invest my love in you because I'm going to lose you. And I don't want that. Not on my watch. It's because I'm a little bit of a pushy broad. (laughs) And he did. He immediately, he's like, I know I just, my kids got their care and and my wife got hers and I was working to make sure they had the health plan. And I've just, you know, he works in culinary, opens restaurants for a living. He's just the hardest working person you'll ever meet. And I'm like, you need to prioritize. You need to make time. Like it's a work thing. And he did. Made me love him even more. Yeah. I fell in love with him more because he took care of himself. That's a message. Yeah. What's that old saying when you go back to the dentist and they're like, when was the last time you flossed? And you say, well, you should know you were there. <laughs> you did it <laughs> two years ago. Oh. So he obviously took the direction and he yeah. ran with it. What was his reasoning for just after he'd gone five years? Like, what's the point of going now? Like, is that kind of what he got to? No, I think it was fear. I think he was like, I know it's bad. <clears throat> I've lost a tooth here. This one's broken, whatever. And he went back in and, and he got a new tooth here and they fixed the broken one. And he's like, this is so much. But you should see his smile now. Yeah. It looks amazing. And quite frankly, he was a pretty hardcore smoker. Not a smoker now. Gave him up cold turkey. I didn't tell him he had to quit smoking. He said he really wanted to. And I said, that would be great. Yeah. That would be that would be great. Well, you're living proof that family can be and should be the biggest support system in these things. I hope so. And I have people who come to me and point out when I'm not resting haven't taken a vacation. One of my best friends, Doyle Bowman, literally took me by the shoulders a few years back and said, you have to stop. And I'm like, what do you you mean? You know, getting up in the middle of the night to do three hours of TV and then, you know, running around with the toddler and trying to be all the things and and run around and help people. And and he's like, okay, when was the last time you actually took a vacation? And I'm like, uh, (laughs) right. So I started to take vacations. So they helped me too. Right. The message is, if you think something's wrong, go get checked. You know your body better than anyone. You know how you feel on a day-to-day basis. You know if it's just a cold or something else. And you talked about anniversary of your father's birthday. So 10 years ago, I think October 3rd, one of my very best friends passed away. And he was a chiropractor. He had three boys under 10. Worked all the time, all the time, all the time. And he said, like, when he was diagnosed with stage four and there was no coming back. But he said, like, we don't know if seven months earlier, if he would have gone, he said, he just kind of started feeling tired, but that was just everyday life, right? Living, working, taking care of the boys, going to hockey, you know, just everyday thing. And he said, I, you know, I kind of felt it maybe for seven, eight months before I got checked. Now it might've been too far gone at that point. You know, it was very random. It was colon cancer, but again, who knows? Maybe it was stage three at that point. Maybe there was something else. So maybe. the line is to, if you think something's wrong, don't put it off, get it checked whether it be mole on your body. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the back of the little, neck yeah, that looks at a, a hockey weird. game. Yeah, exactly. Right. That looks a little weird. I'm going to tell you this because just this past week, this Monday, I had a colonoscopy, my fourth, because my mom's a colon cancer survivor. Yeah. And even though I've had no symptoms of anything, but just I need to get checked every five years, this is what I'm doing. 
I was in and out and shorter than a dental appointment now. Yeah. It was right across the street, actually, from these studios. And I had incredible peace of mind when my gastroenterologist looked at me and said, see you in five years, because an all clear feels great. It really does feel great when you check yourself. Yeah, there, there's a little fear going in, yeah. but I mean, the outcome is going to be better no matter what, no matter if what. you put it off. What does don't change much mean to you? It's something that Brian and I say to each other all the time. It's the little things, right? It's the, it's the habits of well-being. What does that mean to you? Does it mean putting your one-hour dog walk in Pacific Spirit Park so solidly in your calendar that it's immovable for the most part in life? Mm-hmm. Rain, shine, people, busy, work, job. You actually put your work around the thing that makes you feel better. That's that one small movement. It's the the taking that breath and getting yourself the support you might need, just that little bit, reaching out just just enough. Don't change much, but just just allow the pivot. Get the ball rolling. Just a little shift in plowing straight ahead that's taking you down the road where you're feeling unwell, whether it's mentally unwell or physically unwell, continuing to plow straight forward won't help. But if you just deviate ever so slightly, the echo can be fantastic. You've talked about your dad. You've talked about your partner. You also have a teenage son. I do. How have these experiences affected him and perhaps his perception of mental and physical well-being? One of the things that I've done with my boy since day one is I've promised to never lie to him. Not even if he asks me the craziest question that I'm worried that the answer might freak him out. So he has walked through these journeys of these conversations with with me as they're happening. I've told him about Grandpa Bill all the way along. And I think that that conversation with this young man is arming him with the ability to have dialogue with his friends. He's still a dude. He's still a, a growing boy that's like too cool for his mom now. Hug me a block away from school. <laughs> you know. He's a great kid, but I think he's having those conversations with his friends in a meaningful way. He talks about mental health. He told me just the other day, probably my favorite mom moment yet to date, and it just keeps getting better. He sat down first day of school. We sat down for dinner at the end of the day, and he goes, Mom, this is the happiest I've been in my entire life. I said, wow, why, bud? I'm back to school. I feel good about that. I've got a great friend group. He just got a job. He did his own resume called up Mark Brand at a Better Life Foundation got because he had done plenty of plates, got the recommendation from him, called up Jim Romer, and he's a dishwasher, Romer's Burgers. Mm-hmm. He's just like, all the pieces are coming together. And I said, buddy, hold on to that feeling because you're going to slip away from it, but that's what you're going to aspire to come back to. Make that your benchmark. And he goes, oh, good idea. I'm going to tell my buddies that. Now, Jody, there, there are some folks out there who don't have the, the strong family support structure, maybe don't have the friends they feel they can confide in, which is another conversation, but there are resources out there for someone who might be trying to tackle these things alone. Well, and that's why I'm here. The Canadian Men's Health Foundation has those 
easy consumable resources, right? It's a it's a one click environment for built for men, and that's why I'm so proud to be a woman that's being welcomed into the space. Because it's a resource for women who are looking for how to communicate with men as well. So if you go to the website, ladies can do this too. But guys, if you're struggling, you're going to see some familiar faces here. A gathering of greatness, if I may, with the champions that are already on this roster. And all of them have a tip, a story, an opportunity to talk. And the podcasts are really such an incredible resource, honestly. Somebody listening right here is going to be like, I need to talk to somebody. I need to do a little soul searching in what perhaps might make me feel even better. Because you can feel great, but not great. And that's a reason to, to listen in. Uh, talking to people like the first two jumps to mind, and there are many, but Kelly Rudy. Like every time I talk to Kelly Rudy, I leave his presence feeling better mm-hmm. because he is, he is a giver of joy. No bad days. Right. Like he's but he talks about why he has bad days and where he finds his good days. And then he shares it. So if you can just share a little, this is a don't change much thing. You'll find when you share a little with someone you trust and love, whether it be a professional or a friend or a trusted relative or even somebody who doesn't really know your full friend circle. I've had people come to me that are like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I feel like you're my best outlet. Be the best outlet for someone or seek out your best outlet and share on that path to feeling better. I always get an information packet before these podcasts from Ben Brown. And it always includes, and I haven't said it yet, healthy men make better families and healthy men make better communities. So when you're making those right steps, it's going to help everyone. It's going to make everyone's lives more enjoyable from your immediate family to your friend group to your communities. Can't let you go. You've got a new show. I do. <laughs> it's my baby. <laughs> Steel and Vance on check Thursdays at eight, right out of Jeopardy. We launched it September 8th, having authentic conversations. We're kind of watching the news for you. If you're exhausted by the news cycle, we process it and, and take great responsibility in bringing what's happening around the world and around the country and around our province and really landing it on your kitchen table. Linda and I don't agree on everything, which we think is even cooler because it's important that we have constructive discourse, right? Like dialogue that isn't, yeah, 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 all the time. Sometimes it's no, mm-hmm. and we still end up friends, and we respect one another, and, and we are very much partners on this program, and, and I'm really proud to be a part of the Czech family. Czech is the only employee-owned media outlet in North America, owned and operated by the employees. I, I want to have a big corporate entity to report to Linda and I own the show. They trust us with this time slot and absolutely thrilled to have this opportunity. You got too smart for sports. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. <laughs> I, I love it. I love watching you. I do. I just, you, yeah, you're such a phenomenal individual. And we, as you mentioned off the top, have been friends for a long time. We don't see each other as much as we used to, but I always, when I see you, I feel like there's Murph. Oh my God. I love you. Well, this has been great. Thanks. And I hope this conversation uh, uh, hits some people that need to hear it. And if someone says right now, I something's not right, I'm going to call my doctor, then you've done your job. Thank you. Please do that. Yeah. For more helpful tips on improving your mental and physical health, please visit menshealthfoundation.ca and don'tchangemuch.ca. Thanks to everyone who listened and to those who have followed. If you haven't, hit the follow button. That way you'll never miss one of our podcasts 
and you'll be updated on future episodes.